Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. One hundred six point five FM Los Angeles. One hundred two point three FM Riverside. And one hundred five AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, but Mr. Dave Martino is here. More important than me. More important. Yes. No one's more important than you, Al. Yeah, everyone's. No, You're our waiting. fearless leader. You're the boss. Yeah, but they're waiting for the return <laughs> of Mr. Martino. They are. Yeah. I mean, they can't go a week without you. I get all these emails going, well, where's the nice guy? <laughs> well, you only send me, you know, emails where people are, you know. Yeah, because I want to make things. I can't let it get to your head. <laughs> Let's not get carried away here. That's right. got to share, share the hate equally. <laughs> yeah. Have you been following that chat GPT or any of that sort of stuff? Like the, um, you know, that. Uh, yeah, a little I bit. There's, there's all sorts of stuff going on. There's stuff going on with um, video, well, not video, but images, oh. where AI is creating images. And that this just happened at uh, Clark's World. They had to get rid of somebody's, um, some artist sent them something that was generated by, by AI. Oh. So it wasn't really their own thing. And yeah, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Well, maybe they can make me pretty. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, they're or, doing that with music too. It's going to be kind of weird. But you see that guy? Yeah. He, the, the guy committed suicide. Which one? Oh, some guy. He um, oh. was talking with his uh, AI, and and I guess uh, he asked the uh, AI if uh, the world was uh, being ruined by humans, <laughs> and and it said yes, that humans were destroying the world and climate and said all sorts of things so he asked if it would be better off without him 
the world? And, the, of course, it said yes. So he goes and he kills himself. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It's oh, in the man. paper all over. I was just like, wow. Really? I missed that. Oh, yeah. man. I'll send That's you the crazy. article. But it's got, yeah. Yeah. You know? You know. Because I, I know you don't watch the news. You're no. Staying away from that sort of stuff. Stay, yeah. stay away. Too negative. Well, anyway, <laughs> let's, let's get on with this. Now, today we are going back in history. We're going to be talking about uh, a new book called To Track a Traitor, and it's a Lane Winslow mystery. Now, this is, uh, I believe, book 10 of 10 in the uh, Lane Winslow mystery series. So now the author of that book is here, and so let's bring her on. Hi, Ona Wishaw. Hi, Iona. Hi, how are you today, Al? Well, you know, I'm having a rough day. (laughs) (laughs) AI would do me better. Uh, I don't know about (laughs) AI. Are you worried about that, too, as a writer? I mean, you're you're a successful writer. You've got, like, this is the number one book, like you were saying, in Canada. And you've got all this stuff going on. How do you feel about that whole scenario? Uh, I just think that there are uh, probably pitfalls we're not aware of. Uh, My brother just sent me, he has been following the the same, uh, the chat, uh, the one you mentioned, and uh, he sent it a bunch of questions about me. And it was very clear that it kept saying I'm an AI uh, language um, uh, site or whatever. I don't read. I can't um, uh, tell you anything that would affect the copyright of uh, the Lane Winslow books. It, it kind of gave its parameters. So for right now, they're okay. But, you know, I think we just don't really know. It did try to write a whole mystery for me. Uh, you know, a whole plot summary of a, of a potential mystery uh, incited by my brother just to see what it would do. And um, I am bound to say it's not as interesting as what I was thinking of for my next book. But Right. Well, I'm sure I'm sure it will get better with a lot of things. I just don't know why. Like, I'm not I'm not interested. And I, I see some authors out there trying to, uh, you know, get information or have it do things for it and for them and and i'm thinking but why like i'm not really oh no i, I agree with you and anyway i live in the 1940s well, right? so. <laughs> there's not even a computer then like come on no, no telephone or yeah maybe telephone the ring ones yeah, definitely yeah. no cell phones no no so with this um, i i find this interesting because i do i've done some books back in the i've done the 20s and in Germany and the U.S. and stuff like that, I've kind of been in that era. But this is really, really interesting to me because for me, when I'm doing research, I belong to the different newspaper online sites as well. And so I'll go back and get the newspaper of the city and the town, and, and I'll go through every single day of the year to kind of get the feel and what, what people are talking about and what, what's got their attention, what their problems are, and you know what I mean, and who's popular and who isn't and, and the different turmoil that's going on and stuff. So is that kind of how you start your, your research for back then, or what, what do you do? Um, it's sort of a, a mix. Uh, typically what I do is just start out to write the story. And then at some point I go, okay, I need to know something about this. For example, uh, I was very interested in when the whole uh, business of the Sons of Freedom, who were an offshoot of the Dukabors in British Columbia, uh, began to do sort of, um, you know, fires and burning and burning and things like that, because it was still a part of my life in the 1950s and 60s. So I went out to the university and, and uh, you know, looked through the 1940s issues of the Nelson Daily News to see what was being said. 
So something like that, that's what I would do. I think the danger of having a whole lot of information is that you can cram your book with details that I think in the end make it harder to read as a story. So I think you have to sort of balance making sure that you get things in there that are relevant to the story and to the time and give it the necessary uh, kind of foundation, if you will, necessary grounding, but also not to fill up the uh, the story with all kinds of details that you can pick up. That's a temptation I, I would be faced with if I, you know, subscribe to all the, with their historical um, uh, copies. Oh, yeah. No, I agree totally. I do it because I, I, I'm, I'm like uh, getting into the character, so I put on the 1940s gown and hat and uh, and, and do the <laughs> whole thing. Uh, no, I think it's important. I, I don't take a lot of that information personally um, to put it in the book. I take it to kind of get the... Uh, the language of the characters, the slang, what, how they say things, how they word things, and um, why they find certain things good and bad around them, you know. It's kind of getting the, the temperament of people that I look for. Uh, but, you see, I'm writing about murder in the sense that, you know, I'm, I'm taking a true crime, and I've got the, the true story, but I need to fill it with, it's got to have the right feel. Because I, I find that, personally, I find that as we keep moving forward, a lot of the younger generation and each generation that comes along um, knows less about that time, and they're further, you know. That's absolutely true, um, and I can tell you how I know that. I've been challenged a couple of times on um, uh, Lane's uh, personal freedom, like, uh, you know, her, what she does, and I've been asked several times or even told that uh, Lane, uh, by a much younger woman, that Lane is not believable because no one would let her behave as she does. And they, they just have, uh, you know, they have such a, um, a telescope sense of what women's lives would have been like in the 1940s. And they, and they don't know women who came back from the war who were Amazons, uh, by and large. My mother and my aunt certainly were. And so they don't have a real sense, you know, of that. Uh, so that, and that's why I think writing about the period is so interesting. I think it can be sort of eye-opening. Yeah, I'm really surprised at how, and I don't know what that is, because I guess there was a lot of things when I was growing up, let's say in the 60s and 70s, that I didn't understand about the history, but I learned it. I certainly was more interested. It seems like, because uh, so many people nowadays can't picture what it was like before computers, internet, and cell phones now. And so they don't understand. And also, a woman would never take that, or something would never happen like that. And it's like, no, there was, <laughs> they have no idea how what the struggles were for people. No, I think they don't, and they don't. Um, the other side of the coin is that I've uh, also been kind of challenged on the characters I have that do have a sense of justice and do want to fight racism and do want to fight misogyny. Because, again, in their minds, uh, you know, all of the, the, the fights for social justice are all contemporary. And they're doing things that people couldn't do in the past. Well, of course, there's always, there have always been people who are interested in social justice all through history. 
So, it, you know, it's just, it is a bit interesting. And I think the other thing is, uh, you know, I write about a first post-World War II uh, period when I um, I was born in 48, so I, I didn't experience that immediate time, obviously, but my parents did, and so I, you know, that war was very close to me. My father was a bomber pilot, you know, kind of thing. Well, you know, young people living today almost have no references for wars besides, say, Afghanistan. And even then, that's probably getting pretty remote for them as well. So they don't have a real strong sense of history. And I think that's why having books like this is kind of fun. Because one of the other things you can do when you're reading a historical novel I think if it's well written, is that you see that people are still people. They haven't changed. You know, they don't speak some funny stilted language because it's the past, that kind of thing. And I think that's kind of uh, of interesting for people, too. Right. Well, how, how do you deal with reader expectations when they when they differ from what happened historically in reality? I think I just uh, talk about, you know, my own experience with people from that period. I mean, you, you know, you talk about growing up in the 50s and 60s. Did you say 50s and 60s or 60s, 60s and 70s? And, 70s? and he's 70s and 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, most people my age had parents who fought in the war. So we have a lot of experience with that. So with older readers, I almost don't have to explain anything. You know, because they all had parents like that. They knew what their parents went through, um, uh, especially in Canada, because, uh, you know, women really threw themselves into the war effort here, like they did in, in Britain. And, um, you know, so I don't have to d deal too much with them. And I think with the, with the rest, it's just a question of saying, boy, you should have seen my mother. Let me tell you about what my mother was like. And that's sort of relevant because the book originally, originally my character was inspired by my mother, who was kind of a prodigious uh, character, really, in every way. It's interesting, you know, um, so it, it's your, your main character is kind of based on your mother. What, what other features did you, you take into it and how did you create this character? Um, like, how does it all come about, and, and what's your interaction with this character? Uh, all very interesting questions. So uh, when I began to write the first book, um, I had this image in my mind of my mother taking possession of this house that she really, really loved, and in fact, that I spent my childhood in. And uh, so I began to write about that, but almost immediately, like by the second or third sentence, I had pushed the period back. Uh, instead of the night, early 50s, it was the late 40s. It was 1946. I divested this character of husband and children. My mother by then, of course, was married and had two children. And um, almost immediately this woman I write about began to take shape for me very, very clearly. Um, I never mixed her up. In, in some ways, she had a lot of characteristics of my mother. She's My mother was a tremendous linguist, uh, spoke European languages, German, French, and, uh, Russian, French, uh, perfectly, uh, like a native speaker, and was also extremely beautiful. And I gave all of those characteristics to Lane, um, and a little bit of intelligence work my mother did during the war in South Africa. So I gave all of that to Lane, but her character is, is significantly different. And I've never, 
I've never sort of looked back. You know, every time I sit down to write, she's right there just exactly the way I imagine. And and I, I see her as a, as a full you know, a fully realized, uh, uh, person with, with, um, you know, personal characteristics. You know, she's very reserved. She has a great sense of humor. You know, she's very clear to me. And I can't even say I didn't build her. She just arrived. Mm. And do you hear her? Like, is this sort of like, do you experience voices with her like you you know have an audio with her an audio so much i think uh you know my mother had a very beautiful um kind of alto voice and a very uh uh beautiful english accent you know and i i think maybe in my head that's how i hear lane uh speaking uh but it's more like i hear the conversations inside my head but i don't hear them i i I can't explain it to you you know what it's yeah you can't put your finger on it but it's just very clear to me and i and i almost never have any difficulty knowing what she's going to do or say because she fits within her own character as I'm writing. Right. You don't hear those voices while you're driving, do you? No. No, I don't. Thank heavens. Uh, and also, I listen to a lot of audio books. So right now I'm hearing, um, you know, Frodo and Gandalf and the gang. So, <laughs> Well, how, how do you get into the minds of your historical characters? Um, are you just pulling from research, or is it uh, mainly imagination? Or how, how, how does that work for you? Uh, that's a really good one. And I sometimes have to stop and think and tweeze my own perception of the world away from what my character might experience. Because, you know, it's, it's getting on for 80 years ago and society has changed so, so very much. And I really sometimes have to stop and think, uh, you know, with what this character has uh, as a knowledge base, as a social base in his life, you, you know, how would he see this right now? I, I think it's important because I want to not squeeze in kind of modern attitudes. I don't want to squeeze in uh, modern language, for example. Our language is absolutely full of jargon, and that jargon kind of helps to paint a picture of how we see things. If you take all that jargon away... Uh, you know, you, you see, I think, things a little differently. And, of course, I'm, I'm reaching back to think about, you know, how my parents saw things. You know, I was a child of the 60s. So, you know, I was, I was perhaps going up um, against some of my parents' attitudes, although they were very liberal. They were very, uh, you know, left-wing, upper-middle-class English people. So uh, I didn't have that much to fight about. But, uh, you know, I remember what, how they saw things. Right. So when you were going to Woodstock, they didn't care. <laughs> yeah. Mud baths have never been my thing. <laughs> no, mine either. I always thought, man, that looks so dirty. But hey, you know, free country. I know, exactly. You know. I have to imagine that there's a lot of subjects in here that are close to you in a sense, because you talk about, you know, the sibling rivalry and infidelity. You know, you've got all these things, and so it must be quite quite meaningful and in in that same vein when you write one of these books and put it out there and the the person comes and buys the book and reads it of course besides all that entertainment and and great story 
what is it you want them to take away? Is there a subtext or is there a meaning or something you hope they pick up or is it just pure entertainment? It's, it, it is hopefully uh, pure entertainment, not just pure, but, but the other thing is, you know, you have to contemplate, uh, you know, why we read novels and why, you know, as a teacher, I encourage kids to read novels. It's because you can see your world reflected back and you can learn some things about how other people, you, you know, survive and cope with things and how other people see things that perhaps, especially as a young person, you might be puzzled about. You know, my books contain uh, all of the things, you know, racism and uh, prejudice and uh, rape and, you know, all the things that are still troubling us today. And so it, I think it helps to read about that stuff and just see how people can cope. You know, I think that's one of the reasons we reread novels. So I think there's a bit of that in my novels, too. I want people to read them and feel like, okay, there's decent people out there uh, that I could count on, and here's some ways I can look at what's happening right now. You know, I, I always sort of, uh, when I'm doing historical subjects like that, it, I find it amazing when I'm going through the, the papers of the time to see the similarities of the same sort of oh issues and problems, the same fighting. You know, the names are different, you know, the people fighting and the names and all that, but it's the same battle over and over and over, and it's always to do with, like, you know, like you're saying, like race or sex or, you know, men, women. Like, there's all the, it's just the same sort of thing. And um, I guess, you know, it slowly gets better in society, you know, piece at a time. But it's just, it's just amazing how... We seem to be involved in the same battles um, century after century or, you know, I just, I don't know. I mean, I think we're, you know, they're profoundly human stories and human conflicts and human triumphs and human failures. Uh, I don't think those change too much. And, um, you know, when people read my books, what they always say is that they really, really like the characters. And it's because... I want them to be very, very real no matter where I place them. Modern day, 40s, if I was writing something about, I even do delve into the First World War from time to time in my books, you know, and all the time they have to be real people dealing with the same kinds of things that we deal with now. You know, laws may have improved a bit about this and that, but... Um, you know, we can see some backpedaling around laws going on as well. So, you know, maybe things don't change that much, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It just well, it takes a lifetime, and uh, it's all we have. So, um, but when the world re reflects so much, like in your books, when you're putting a lot of what you know, how you see things, and and hopefully how other people can can find things, and you're hoping to draw some meaning with your readers. I'd imagine that each time you go through an experience of writing a book like this, um, at the end of it, it changes you somehow. I think it's uh, it's actually true. Um, I think in a lot of ways, uh, you know, one of my favorite sayings, and I don't remember where I got it, so uh, apologies to whoever I had either read about it from or, or heard it from, but you don't know what you think until you write. That, to me, is a, an absolutely central premise. So when I write... Um, through the books, through the different uh, issues that are coming up. It's a way of consolidating how I feel about the 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. World, you know, and how I see it. And, you know, uh, a couple of things. One is I'm... 74, so I've seen a lot. Um, I mean, I, you know, you see stuff over the years. And you, developed a, you develop a kind of um, uh, a balance about how you see things in the world. And I think writing really helps me to understand more about how I see it. And very often it'll come about because Lane is thinking about something that's going on and, um, uh, you know, reflecting on it and, and the meaning of it for her and her own life. And as I'm writing that, I'm going, oh, that's the meaning of this for me in my life. That's actually uh, Dave wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can thank him. He wrote that. You know? Yeah. Are, are you conscious of the violence uh, that you write on the page, like how you write it or think about it? Uh, yes, I am. Um, and uh, this is where you get into uh, thinking about who your audience is. Um, you know, most of my audience uh, don't want to see from me. They may read other people who write thrillers with lots of, uh, you know, uh, gory activity going on. But from me, they don't want to see too much of that. So 
Uh, and I also, when I read, I typically, uh, you know, what's interesting to me is not how the person died so much, unless it has some sort of symbolic meaning, as uh, the fact that the person's died. And, and that what matters after that is, um, you, you know, the person who killed them and what they went through and what they're going through and the, and the people who've been left behind and all of that. So it doesn't place the, the, the moment um, centrally in the book, it's more like it's there, now what are we dealing with in terms of consequences. I did in one of my books um, have a woman um, uh, slit the neck of somebody, and I thought I may have ventured slightly too far for some of my readers with this, but so far I managed to get away with it. Well, and you talk about how important the characters are, because you know if the, if the reader doesn't feel for the character, good or bad, then they lose interest because if your character's in an accident, they don't care then. It is yeah, really exactly. important. How do you get that feeling or how do you get the reader to feel for your negative or evil characters, let's say? Well, if you look at the, at the construction of my books, um, what you'll see is that I very often, I don't like to spend a lot of time explaining things and saying this happened in the past and that happened in the past. Typically what I'll do is if I want to bring something up about, say, a character who's the bad guy, um, uh, what I'll do is just dip into his life or her life somewhere and we'll see a little scene. And the scene, I always hope, will illustrate something about what led to them later uh, murdering somebody. So it's, it's, you know, there's never a thing about evil or, um, you know, weird psychology. You know, I think people, by and large, who murder other people are really just in a situation where they can't think of another way to get out of a situation they're in. Or they can't think of another way to solve a problem. So... That's what I'm interested in is what, what, you know, what is this, you know, I don't want the, the character to be endearing to the readers necessarily, but I do want the reader to maybe have a, have a, a trail to follow about how this person got there. Well, talking about you mentioned constructing constructing characters and, and then constructing the novel, are, are you using an outline? Do you do you outline or, or do you uh, just write by the seat of your pants or you're a hybrid um, how do you how do you construct your your novels? I'm absolutely a seat of my pants guy um, because I'm just interested in the development of story. And you know, at my age, creativity uh, does not for me. It does for some, but it does not for me reside in outlining and plotting. It resides in those moments when actually things are coming out of my head and through my hands and onto the paper, and that's what interests me the most. So what happens with people like me, I think, uh, if you ask any uh, what they call pantser, uh, you know, eventually they hit a bit of a wall, and, they, and they're going to have to start tying things together. And so you can kind of paint yourself into a corner um, that you have to get out of, which probably plotters don't have to suffer through. Um, but, you know, that, that's how I do it, and... You know, I don't even know what the instinct is, but I'll be going along writing and I'll go, my readers are going to need to know something more about this person right now. And that's when I'll put a big double space and I'll jump into an earlier scene. And it can be as long ago as the First World War or even into the previous century, meaning the 19th century, where something's happened 
And then the reader's going to carry this information forward and use it to try to reconstruct what happened. So that's, you know, I've learned over the books that that is kind of what my structure is. I think of it as, you know, blocks of information that people can assemble. So what's your structure like and, and when you're writing? Like, how do you how do you perform your books? Are you um, kind of, um, do you sit down nine to five and you can just start and write, turn it on? Or do you have to be in a certain mood or feeling or certain atmosphere? No, I, I'm an ex-English teacher. I don't uh, believe in moods and atmospheres very much. Um, and I love that, uh, the, the way you framed that, performing your book. I think that's really marvelous. I'm making note of that. Um, I typically, uh, I don't think I've ever suffered from uh, whatever it is writers have, writer's block. You know, I, I typically work in the morning. That's when I'm best. Uh, in the afternoon, my brain just isn't fresh in that same way. Uh, so I don't typically write in the afternoon unless I'm really facing some sort of deadline. So I just open my computer and I start writing. I don't have any rules about, you know, how long I have to write in any given session. Um, it can be, I try not to have it be less than 500 words. That's really a whole day gone by and not really doing much. But, you know, I try to aim at 1,000, 1,500, even 2,000 words if I can, if the morning's going well. The rule that I have about that is uh, that I'm not allowed to go back and erase anything on the day that I'm writing. So I can't, you know, be writing a sentence and go, oh, this sounds really uh, cliche or daft or whatever it is I'm thinking. I just have to push through and write it. And then I'm not allowed to make an evaluation about it until the very next day or the next time I sit down to write. So, you know, I write five days a week. Um, if I've missed a day, I sometimes will take a weekend morning to do some writing to catch up. But that's how I do it. And, you know, after I go back to a piece of work that I did the day before or whenever, uh, that's when I have a much clearer judgment about whether it was uh, any good. And, and very often I'm glad I didn't erase it because it would have been lost. Funny you said the word daft. I say that all the time. And people, when I'm in the States, they always look at me. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> I said daft. Don't be daft. And they look at me and they just, they just have not heard that word. Wow. And, you know, don't be daft. Well, I love it's a gentle. It's a gentle way of saying something to people. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, um, a Bible, a source or something that you keep track of your main characters in a series like this so that you don't, you know, um, do something wrong with a character? Uh, you know, my publisher initially was very uh, keen for me to keep a spreadsheet. And then the person who helped me set up the spreadsheet left. And uh, it's all fallen by the wayside. Uh, people who don't like to plot and make notes also don't like spreadsheets, is my guess about life. So, uh, you know, I fondly imagine that uh, I have my characters just very firmly in mind. Like, I can't recall a time. I may forget a name and have to go back into a previous book to go, God, what was Darling's brother's name? Because I've only mentioned the guy once, you know, in ten books. Uh, but I never really forget a character. Uh, and I know if I'm going wrong because I'll be writing and I'll feel like, oh, this person didn't say, wouldn't ever say that. You know, and then sometimes I'm reminded by a beta reader, mm, would this character say that? I, I don't really do that. I think it's all just kind of in me. 
Because, and again, it's because I just have such a strong sense of who they are as people. Now, since you're right by the seat of your pants, I'm just wondering, do your characters ever surprise you? I know that when, when I write, I find that I'm inside the character and I'm kind of following them. And uh, I know they can kind of take, you know, kind of go off the rails a little bit, take, take, uh, t- take uh, a left turn when I wanted to go right. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you, or uh, do you feel totally in control? Uh, no, I think that definitely does happen to me, and I think it's because of the way I write. Like, I'll have an idea that Elaine is going to do something a certain way, and as I'm writing, I'm discovering she's doing something completely different. So I usually just go, oh, okay, remember, no judgments on the day I write. Let's see where this goes. Um, and I think that's part of the fun of writing. I think if you, if you, ha- if you exert a tremendous control on your characters, you've taken some of the fun out of the thing, really. Wow, so you're both loony. Yes. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and I hear voices. Yeah, he hears voices. We don't let him out in public too often. No. One thing I have to say, so readers always sort of pick out things and and find things in in books and series and stuff like that. Has there ever been a time where you're sort of surprised at uh, what some of the readers have picked out about your books or found it or maybe thought it meant? Um, I will say this. I, I get lots and lots of lovely letters, and many of them contain... Uh, gentle suggestions, uh, or corrections. You know, uh, there is ever a reader out there who will find the one thing you really fluffed in the book and will let you know about it, which I sort of enjoy, you know. I think the biggest surprise I had was when, um, people really like to do this, um, business where what if your, uh, book was a series or a, or a movie, who would you cast? And uh, I was very surprised to learn recently that somebody would cast, darn it, I can't remember, but uh, uh, an American actress that I absolutely love, who's in her 50s now, would cast her as Lane, you know. And Lane is English, and she's 27 or 8 years old. So, you know, that, that I think I'm always surprised by how people see the characters. You could always cast you know. me as Lane. I could, yes. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. I need to get a good wig <laughs> fit, but, you know, it, it can be done. <laughs> you know, when you when you talk about that, the um, you said that you can just, you know, you're an English teacher or an ex-English teacher, so you can sit down and you're, you're sort of motivated. You can sit there and write and turn it on and stuff like that. So outside of things don't really bother you? So, like, during the pandemic and, and uh you know, the Donald Trump days and all the, the weird stuff that goes on. And none of that sort of interferes. Uh, it interferes uh, in some ways. Uh, the, uh, you know, somebody once asked me about, uh, you know, why I write historical fiction. And I said, you know, it's very interesting to see how people... Uh, behave and what they do in these massive historical moments, right? And uh, I realized that the pandemic was a massive historical moment uh, for all of us across the world. And so, actually, I became very interested in how people are behaving. And even now, as as the pandemic is dwindling, you know, the the outcomes of it, the the labor unrest, the social unrest, like I think all of these these things are expected. So, 
you know, looking back in history at other pandemics, you know, it gave me a real sense of, yeah, we would expect what's going on right now to be going on. And uh, I did, during the period of the 45th president, build into one of my uh, stories a businessman who became the criminal. So that was, you know, as near as I went, I think, Um but it was dismayed. It's dismaying to see attitudes slipping what I consider backwards, uh, you know, away from a kind of enlightened view of society. That's right. You know, the, the stress of it. I have to wonder how um, it will affect us. You know, I know Dr. Peter Vronsky in, in Toronto there he, and how he talks about how the serial killers peak times were during you know, like the 70s and, and even some of the 60s. And and he talked about it because of the generation of the war and the babies and how they grew up and how men treated each other, father's son, let's say, differently. I just, I just wonder what kind of an influence the pandemic and the Trump days are going to have on the generation that we'll see in 20 years. Yeah, I think that actually is very interesting because, you know, from my time of working with with kids and young people in school, um, you know, I feel like we're, for example, in a a golden age of fathering. You know, fathers are very engaged with their kids in all kinds of wonderful ways. Uh, in ways that, uh, you know, I never experienced. My father was absolutely wonderful, but I would never call him uh, engaged in the way that my son is with his own children, for example. So, uh, yeah, it w- I think it will be very interesting. And, uh, you know, it's interesting to write about men of that period uh, as well, of the 1940s, because they, they've all grown up with... Um, Often fathers who who fought in the first war and came back, uh, uh, you know, unable to to parent as they might have a lot of them. And, uh, you know, here they are trying to to parent uh, people in in a society that did not in any way expect fathers to be engaged with their children. So I'm I'm hoping that, that we won't see a return of that kind of distant fathering. I've been very encouraged by what I've seen lately. Certainly, uh, there must have been some surprises to you historically in a sense that quite often I I felt a little bit different about how people acted with, let's say, masks and vaccines and stuff. It seemed to be a lot more outrage and, and talk about freedoms and stuff. Meanwhile, people really had it good considerably compared to, let's say, the first pandemic 100 years before. Well, yes, and, and you know, I, I, I always t- try to take a historical perspective. You know, during the pandemic, I read extensively about, you know, the Black Death and the Spanish flu and all of that just to see. And, you know, I, I was not even surprised to see that during the Spanish flu in 1918 that there were whole cities that rebelled against masking and whole cities that were quite compliant about masking. And so what they learned was the cities where they were compliant about masking, fewer people died than in the cities where people rebelled about it. So I just thought, well, no surprise there. And plus, people are responding in, in, in what, if you see both of them, is kind of a familiar way. I mean, we have all this social media to kind of uh, enhance and, and uh, you know, bump up the strength of people's crazy ideas. But 
I, I just think going from where we were, where the world, at least in this regard, was safe and we were out together all the time and we were singing in choirs and going to dances and all of that, to none of that, for a lot of people, that was just, you know, they couldn't comprehend the change and that that's what was difficult for people. They, they just couldn't reframe how they understood the world. It, it, they couldn't just couldn't understand right i think i think one of the surprising things is about when you think how difficult it was like you were writing during the war like you've got these stories during after world war one and two and during and all that and what they had to experience you know with going to war and all the husbands leaving and and the woman of the family working jobs and and uh, rationings of food and and all the different things that were going on the the you know remember the air raids that they had to have after the pearl harbor bombing on the west coast cities because they were scared that japan would come bomb and the drills they had and stuff like that it just it just i i look at what people went through at that time and what they faced compared to how little it takes now for people to you know like their their rights are gone it is it's absolutely true and i think one of the interesting things if you take i remember reading a study about london during the blitz and during the war and the level of anxiety went way, way, way down in spite of the massive increase of danger to themselves and to, to, to uh, people that they loved. And it was because they were all uh, working, you know, toward victory in the war. You know, there was a purpose to life. And I think, you know, we live in a very, I wouldn't say indulged, but in some ways an indulged society where we've never really experienced any threats. You know, members of our society have gone off to war, but here in North America, you know, we've never had any of that. And I think, I think that adds to the sense that, you know, there's this massive pandemic and you're powerless to do anything. And I think that must just make people so angry. Well, I've certainly gained a lot of respect for people that lived and pushed through the war and right into the 60s and kind of got north america running again you know got everybody up and moving and and the strength of the people back then and and that and certainly stories and series like how you're writing and what you're doing here i think it's another it's a key uh key moment for that and it brings that out for people and i think that's great you know historical fictions are i think the best thing going for me right now i know i, love I, I just yeah. i can't get enough um now let's talk about modern times and how people can find you now now are you doing social media do you do website do you what where, where do people find iona yep you can find me at ionawishaw.ca ionawishaw.com uh i'm on facebook uh i tweet every now Ooh. and then i don't know when i'm going to stop being allowed you to go, tweet. Girl. I, I, I don't really tweet i respond to other people's tweets let me put it that that's more accurate uh, and I do Instagram. So those are all places you can find me. I suppose they're all very old-fashioned. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're kind of yesterdays, but that's okay. No, I just, <laughs> no, it's still being used, you know. But you got to get on TikTok, start dancing, you know, do some stuff and, you know, get people on, on, on your case there. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> well, of course, we'll put this up. We'll put your book up. We'll have everything on the website so people can find you with one click. They don't have to go searching. It's all there. So, And oh, it's been you. a pleasure. It's uh, I 
just love talking to historical fiction writers, and this is fantastic. And um, now the book, of course, is called To Track a Traitor, and it's a Lane Winsell mystery. And this is now book 10 of 10, and our guest has been the author of this book, Iona Wishaw. Thank you for being here. It was my enormous pleasure. Thank you, Al, and thank you, Dave. Thanks, Iona. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.